Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. This episode is brought to you by Nice Job, Painter Marketing Pros, and APC. Welcome to the Women in Paint podcast. And Brandon is laughing because I just made him listen to some fiance. And I'm not sure. I thought I saw you, you know, bopping your head a bit. I'm not going to say whether I was or wasn't. (laughs) All right. Good deal. We've got Brandon Pierpont on the show today. He is with Painter Marketing Pros. And I've got some uh, great interaction with Brandon over the last month or so. So I thought he'd be a perfect fit to to join us today. So thanks for joining me, Brandon. And what, yeah, you got it. You're a pro at this stuff. So um, I know you're not used to being on the other side and being it's the one on your that, side, but, but yeah, you're going to come on my go. podcast and we're going to flip roles here. So okay. I love it. So here's what I want to talk about. One of the things that I want to explore a little bit deeper with you since I've had a few conversations is the idea that there is so much opportunity in the painting industry. I believe it. I know you believe it so much that your wife is getting ready to start her own painting business. So just kind of, you know, in terms of like thinking of an audience who is just getting started. And um, I remember those days when I'm losing my mind, I'm wearing all the hats. I question almost on a daily basis, why am I doing this? Is it worth it? You believe there's lots of opportunity in this industry. Talk to me about what you see from the painter side of, of this. I do. But first, Michael, I have to address this Beyonce countdown. Does that get shown? (laughs) Does that get shown in the podcast or is that just for the guest? So often the PCA does uh, include that part in their recording. It's part of one of my favorite parts of the show, to be honest. It is. Yeah, it got me pretty pumped up. It's making me kind of second guess everything I'm doing on our (laughs) podcast, but that's okay. Maybe we'll get a Beyonce thing going as well. Uh, yes, the opportunity in the painting industry is absolutely massive. It is massive enough that my wife and and I really she's leading it. She's made that very clear to me. But my wife and I are starting a second company, which, as we all know, starting one and growing one, uh, running your own business is difficult. So, lo- really looking forward to seeing what two looks like, especially when we have multiple young children. Uh, but yeah, the I think Jason Paris says it best. He says, you know, your only ceiling really is your ability to execute on your business plan. And I think running a, a marketing agency that Painter Marketing Pros were doing very well. The market is is plenty big. But when you look at residential and commercial painting, there really is no cap to that. I mean, you could hypothetically, you could expand into all, all major locations across the United States. You could franchise. I mean, you can get to 100 million plus. There's not a cap there, but it is difficult. Yeah, I, I, I feel that too. And, you know, what kind of my uh, view on all this has been is that, you know, we we know, and I think you'd agree with it, that traditionally the painting industry hasn't been all that professional. Um, There's, there's some real, you know, gaps when you compare our industry to some other industries. And that to me has always been 
a huge opportunity because sometimes just showing up on time makes a huge impression because the contractor before you didn't show up on time or didn't return the call. And so from a professionalism standpoint, I just have always thought, man, do a few things really, really good and meet the promises that that you put out there for your customers. And you are literally steps ahead of the competition. Yeah, no, 100%. I, I love the fact that most painting companies are not ultra professional, that they kind of fly by the seat of their pants. Uh, you know, they think it's acceptable to call a, a lead back at lunch or the next day. That's fantastic because it makes it that much easier for you to succeed as a painting company owner. And I think if we look around at these other industries, which are similar, the reality is they are similar. The licensing requirements might be a bit different. So it might be a little bit of a higher initial hurdle. But when you look at plumbing or HVAC or roofing or electricians, and you look at how dialed in and refined their systems are in terms of sales or marketing and really approach the whole thing. And then you take a look at painting. I love the painting space. Right. Why do you think the painting space is behind on some of these processes, even the tools that we have, the systems, the technology? Why, why is that the case? I think it's just been largely a neglected industry. I think the fact that the barrier to entry is so low has allowed a lot of the, the proverbial chuck in a truck to join. And I think it's kind of dragged the whole industry down in a way uh, by just the bottom feeders, you know, kind of bottom of the barrel competing strictly on price. Uh, I think that's probably the biggest issue. I think it's been largely neglected by private equity firms, investors. It's been overlooked for uh, industries such as plumbing and HVAC and roofing. Some of those industries do have, there's, there's a stronger sense of urgency. So obviously if you have a, a leak in your house um, or your you know, hole in your roof, or you're, con- you're concerned that your house is going to burn to the ground, those are pretty urgent items that you're probably going to need to take care of. So pay-per-click for emergency plumbing, for example, is a really mm. a competitive and compelling space. Painting's a want. You know, it's, right. a different, it's really not typically a need, uh, which also makes it a little bit more prone to uh, a difficulty during a recession, for example, because they don't, they don't have to pay you. They, they may want to pay you. Right. But the opportunities are there. Private equity firms are starting to look at painting companies. Uh, so there is an ability to build a true asset there other than just your customer list, which has historically really been the asset. And I think the mindset just needs to shift. Right. I think the issue is oftentimes it's OK. Your dad was a painter, ran a painting company. So then you, you know, it's just in your family. So now you run a painting company and it's sort of this this owner operator uh, tradition almost in your family. And I don't think that is typically the case with plumbing and roofing, I think it's a bit different. Yeah, that's great insight. You know, the other thing that I find challenging is that generally speaking, uh, folks don't see painting as a true craft, right? Now, now, you know, people like me and even you, we, we, we can see it a bit differently. We understand it takes a skill uh, and all of these things, but uh, like in Ohio where I'm at, There is no license that you have to have. Um, Oftentimes people think of painters who, you know, maybe uneducated, maybe they couldn't do anything else when it comes to, you know, electricians and plumbers, their certifications and, 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 you know, training that they're required to go through. And so I think that that also kind of has an impact on uh, people's viewpoint of the industry as a whole, which I think folks like you and I are helping change that. Um, Now, since you are the marketing pro, Let's. Here's what I want to do. I want to talk about what 
businesses can do who are just starting? What does marketing look like? Is how, how do you get your first clients? And then I kind of want to talk about the phase two of it, where you've got companies who are in that growth spurt, who are trying to get to the next level where they might have a marketing budget. So if we think of people who are just starting, what can they do uh, that might be low dollar? And how do they get their first clients? Sure. Yeah. So I'll approach it from the traditional startup, which is assuming you don't have a lot of money, right? You said low dollar. So friends and family is always going to be your best first bet. So reach out to your social circle, not only see if they could use the the help, see if they know of anyone who could use the help and charge low prices. So I typically never promote this. I'm, I'm super against it for, for the partners we work with. Um, I would never recommend it to you, Michael, uh, working with us, but the, the people when you're starting, sometimes you have to do that, right? You have to get a portfolio, uh, create, do invest in certain things. So do invest in yard signs, do invest in, in shirts for your business, do invest in that sort of bare minimum of professionalism. Don't invest in this big expensive website, but put up a, a landing page site on Wix or go to use a, a pre-made website builder, pay very little. But what it does is it presents a professional appearance for people who go do their homework on your company, set up a Facebook set up an Instagram, start putting some posts out there. It's all free. In the beginning, you're going to pay with sweat. So go mm-hmm. to go door knock, right? Go do the things that are hard. Pick up the phone and call people. That stuff is hard. Very few people like doing that. It's uncomfortable. But that face-to-face interaction of dealing with your prospective customers, of landing that business yourself, of being fully engaged, kind of grassroots effort is going to give you, uh, not only is going to get you the business, it's also going to educate you. Because you need to learn, and that's something people really don't don't understand. They devalue. You need to actually learn what you're selling. You need to learn the pain points of the people you're selling it to. You need to learn what they care about. And the only way to truly learn that is be face to face with them, making sales sales presentation after sales presentation after sales presentation, figuring out the typical objections. So then you learn how to objection handle, right? Getting in front of those things, figuring out that a lot of times they're supposed objections, not the real objection. So when they say, oh, you know, I think about, oh, I don't think we're going to move forward. Well, what's the real issue? The issue is probably they don't trust you. You haven't conveyed right. enough value to them yet. Ultimately, you need to convey more value than what you're charging. And then they feel like it's a good decision for them. So that face-to-face grassroots, you can run Facebook ads. Uh, but the reality is you probably shouldn't because you're probably not very good at it. And you probably shouldn't hire a marketing company to do it because now we're, we're not talking about low dollar anymore. So the grassroots, friends, family, door knock, uh, just grind. You know, sometimes in the beginning, you have to just grind. Yeah, I mean, that that was my experience. And the other thing that I'll throw in there is, uh, you know, people, I, I feel like people often talk a lot about branding and knowing your why and knowing all these things. And, and I like to say that sometimes in the beginning, you don't know those things and that's okay. Those things to me develop over time. And in the beginning, sometimes you have to take on all the jobs, right? You might not be able to say no to something that uh, a year or two down the road that you're going to say no to. You might not fully develop uh, or understand who your end client is. So I know in the beginning for me, it was like do anything and do everything. And then we learn the things we should not be doing. Um, Under this scenario with a startup, do you have any tips on how someone can show value and gain trust when they're in those face-to-face meetings? What does that look like uh, when you're probably the one doing the sale, maybe the one painting, going to the store, getting all the paint? How do you convey that trust and value in those moments? Yeah, ultimately, people want you to be honest, 
right? So you, so if you've never painted anything, if you don't know anything about what you're doing, there, there's sort of a time and a place in terms of how you present that, right? You probably don't want to say, hey, I've never painted anything. Can I paint your house? They're not, they're not going to want you to paint the house. So having education, PCA has painter training. It's like $100. So you can, you can take the whole course and you can invest $100 into learning how to paint. You can work on your own house, right? If you're going to be the painter, paint your own house. So now you've painted a house before. And then when you're speaking with a prospective customer, let them know, hey, I'm I'm a new business. Uh, you you would be one of my first, I wouldn't probably say first, but you're going to be one of my earliest customers. I, I want to give you a great rate. I want to knock this absolutely out of the park. I will be doing it personally. Uh, and it would mean the world to me if you give me this opportunity. And, and if you can tell your friends and family, what you're going to get is, is you're going to get an extremely dedicated business owner on your house who, who is very, very invested in the success of this job. Um, and we'll do everything I can to make sure you are fully satisfied. You're also going to get a, a phenomenal rate to get that done. And in exchange, I'm just asking for, for you to be willing to provide referrals or tell people I did a good job or really allow me to take photos and use the portfolio just as I get started. So yeah. I think you, you're, some people might say, no, you know, no, thank you. Um, you know, I, I would rather hire a company that's been doing it for years. That's okay. Because other people are going to say, you know what? Great. I support, I support local business. This gives me, you know, I was kind of worried about the cost of it. I want to help you. You help me. And this is going to be a good relationship. So when someone slams the door in your face, you know, don't move on to the next person because somebody out there is going to really embrace that. And, and some people won't also get used to the word. No. <laughs> so the word no is a beautiful word, right? We all think, yeah, we want the word. Yes. No is a failure. No is phenomenal. Every no you get, you are one no closer to the yes. Right. And so, and there's, there's learning in no, there's more learning in no than there is in yes. When there's a no, try to figure out why that no occurred. Try to dive into that. Cause that's ultimately how you're going to, to learn the pain points of your, of your customers is what you're ultimately going to learn, how you actually convey that value. And then you'll figure out how to sell on value through that. I also, I want to touch on the why and the branding. Yeah. Why is important. You know, I, th I think your personal why is what matters in the beginning mm -hmm. because you're, you are going to face an uphill battle. You have chosen a difficult path. You have, you have to accept that. One of my mentors uh, told me by choosing to be an entrepreneur, I'm choosing to step in the ring and you don't, mm -hmm. you don't just throw punches, you receive them. And that's what, that, that's the choice you make. If you don't want to make that choice, then you can go be a cashier at Walmart. You can work for some other large company, get, get benefits and basically set on this straight line, slight incline trajectory for your life. Or you can choose the exponential growth curve potential uh, with a brutal beginning of entrepreneurship. But I think the branding, I think that the whole branding, the reality is customers don't care. When my wife and I, we, I got into marketing, we started a, a mobile detailing company. So that was the first real company that we started. That was how I got into marketing and learned to market, learned to differentiate. The, one of the very first things we did, we spent a ton of time talking about uh, the, the brand, you know, what people are going to care about. We were, it was called Rich Detail. We were going to have these silver, it was like a cheetah, I think was our, was our uh, logo. And we were going to have these metallic cheetahs and, and we were going to get people to put them on the back of their car. And it was going to be a status symbol um, because they got their car detailed by Rich Detail. We had this whole story. Nobody gave a crap. Nobody cared at all. They just wanted their car detailed. They wanted it easy and they wanted it cheap. And I realized right. the entire, entire approach was wrong. And yeah. what people were telling us like, Hey, well, my detailer didn't show up. They're always late. I never know when they're going to come. So people kept saying this. So I was like, okay, we're on time service. We're guaranteed. This is what we're going to, we're, we're going to do. And we'll be able to charge a lot more because of that. And the reality is we couldn't charge a lot more because of that, because what people complain about right. and what they're willing to pay to solve are not always the same thing. That's right. Sometimes That's people just like to complain. Yeah.
Yeah, very good. Um, so did you get rid of the car detailing business? No, we ended up we ended up growing it and successfully exiting it. Oh, but really? Not, nice. not out, yeah, but we, so we, in the beginning, started, so my background, it, it was quite a change for me. So my, I went to Notre Dame, majored in finance, was doing investment banking, was doing private equity, was making a good amount of money, but wanted to be an entrepreneur. So after, after uh, some time, I started this detailing. Well, I was physically doing the detailing. So I was, I was vacuuming. I was, I was doing that side of the car. De- mobile detailing is tough work. But I would spend five hours on a car, walk away with, and this was in the beginning before I knew what I was doing, walk away with probably after the materials and everything, because we were buying, buying best in class materials from chemical guys, um, like $150. I mean, something just stupid right. after that amount of work. And then we're we go eat and get Gatorades because we're we've sweat everything out yeah. for the last. Like, and at the end of the day, we may have fifty dollars. I'm like, this is not a viable business. So we had to switch. We had to find a way to differentiate. We had to lower our prices, but become far more efficient. We had to sort of accept that good was good enough. That I would I would do like a flashlight around the whole. I was super anal about it in the beginning. Like that has to be absolutely perfect. Uh, had to kind of had to lower the standards a little bit to give the market actually what they were willing to pay for. So you were adjusting with the market, which yeah. um, I think is a lesson I'm I'm learning and absorbing now in the pain industry. Um, okay, it's so tough. we talked to you have such high standards, but if yeah. people, you know, like the fine paints of Europe or stuff, that most houses don't want that. They're not going to pay you yeah. the price for that. What they You're want right. is a solid paint job. Exactly. Um, so we've talked about startup. What does the growth phase look like in terms of marketing? How do you know it's time to bring on? A company like yours and like how, how do you know if you got enough money to do it yeah it's a great question so when you bring on a company like mine you should have some some sort of cash cushion right you should have some uh stable revenue so it's not just startup or we've had companies that, that we've worked with where somebody actually was fully employed somewhere else and they just mm. wanted to hop in and skip all the all the difficulty in the beginning so they wanted to have a strong presence and they said hey basically we haven't started the company but we want you to set it up want you to get a great presence, want you to do the SEO. So, so all these search results are coming in so that when I transition, I don't have to do basically what we just talked about for the past 10 minutes. So it depends on your situation, but you should always have a buffer, should always have some ability to pay. If you can't go to sleep at night because mm-hmm. you're worried about how much you're paying your marketing company, then don't pay your marketing company. You right. should be able to go to sleep at night. And that's always my benchmark because people do come in and they say, I want to I work with you. I want to move forward with you. Um, I'm worried about the money. And that's my barometer for them. Hey, can you move forward and can you go to sleep? If I don't generate a lead for you in two months, mm-hmm. can you still sleep? Because if you can't, then then you shouldn't move forward with us. I want there to be plenty of buffer. Yeah. So is marketing or getting in with a, comp- a marketing company, is it a long-term game? Or is it you do it for a couple months? Oh my gosh, I'm not getting leads. I'm out. Tell me what that looks like for you know someone like me who wants to uh, maybe consider working with a company. Yeah. So the the long it's absolutely long term for us. So we have a painter marketing pros. I'm saying has a difficult. Uh, we're in sort of a difficult position, just like many painting companies are in a difficult position, and that is that people don't trust marketing companies, mm-hmm. and the reality is you shouldn't. I don't trust marketing companies. I've been burned by marketing companies. The reality is I don't like marketing companies, even though I own one. I truly don't. And a lot of people feel that way about painting companies because you're a contractor. And everyone's pretty much been screwed by by contractor in one way or another. So when you come in, they don't trust you, right? And conveying the trust is ultimately, it's about someone being responsible at the end of the day. 
So that just kind of back to that, as you grow bigger, what we do is, is with our partners, we, we have messaging and, and videos we send out and ultimately, Hey, you know, I'm Michael, I own no drip painting. I want to let you know, I, I personally guarantee your project. If you have an issue, you'll be able to text or email me directly and we will make it right. Now all of a sudden it's not some, you know, vague corporation or, or company that they're doing business with. And they're just gonna say, Oh, Oh, well, you know, that's our policy. Sorry. But there's actually a human being that they can talk to who's going to make things right. That makes sense. Uh, it totally does. And, and I know that you excel at that because of my experience working with your company. Um, what, why do people not trust marketing companies in general? What, what is that all about? It's the, the promising. And this is, it's great for painter marketing pros because we get a lot of business this way. So other, other marketing agencies, of course, I'm not going to mention any, but promise uh, rainbows and unicorns, right? Mm-hmm. We're going to get you all these leads. Oh my gosh, it's going to be exciting. I literally, I literally had a conversation yesterday with, with a new partner. We call our, our customers partners. We view it as a partnership. The new partner who came on board uh, from another uh, agency in our space who they said had promised them and their, their words, rainbows and unicorns, and they received nothing. So a lot of marketing agencies are hype. They're hype mm-hmm. agencies. They set up. Uh, we do the opposite. I'll almost downplay. Uh, I'll oftentimes, if someone, especially if they seem on the fence, I'll try to push them away because I don't want to start a relationship where I'm trying to sell hard or I'm trying to close hard because what it's doing is it's setting everyone up for failure. That means I I must perform 110% from day one or they're going to, or their reaction is going to be, I knew I shouldn't have done it. I I knew it was the wrong decision, right? So I want everyone to be invested. We focus long-term. So for us, when we're having conversations with prospective partners, my question is, where's your company going to be in three years, five years, right? What is your goal? You have a goal for your life. You wouldn't have chosen this path if you don't. So where are you going? Because I want to make sure we're the right partner to help you get there. Other marketing agencies are going to say, hey, man, look, look at these results. Well, yeah, we'll get you. We're going to get 50 leads in, in the first week. And that's what's going to happen. If, you're, if they're saying that, don't use them because right. they're a hype agency. Right. Um, when you're kind of in this growth stage, uh, well, let me say this. You talk to a lot of companies because you've got a, um, of course, you've got your marketing company, but then you've got a podcast that you do and you get to talk to the big hitters in the industry. Uh, what do they say are the major pain points? Like if you're going to say, okay, look, you're going through your growth stage. What are the major pain points that you hear from folks that we could be on alert for? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's always kind of the balancing of labor versus sales. You mm-hmm. know, it's tough to balance those things perfectly. The the leads, of course, is an issue. And back to the short versus long-term build, the, the recurring cycle, it's like lunatic, it's like being a lunatic, is wait until the winter and then freak out. And then and then just start marketing and, and throwing all your ad dollars. And, and then once spring hits, you're busy. Well, don't worry about it anymore. You know, now right. you're fine. And then, you know, October, November comes around like a freak out. Like you don't know that it's coming. You know right. it's coming. So you should be investing into your long-term present. You should be investing into things to not have to deal with that. But instead, you stay in this, this hamster wheel, this rat race with every other company. And food for thought, ads become a lot more expensive because they're based on auction style, uh, both on, mm. on social and on Google. It's an auction style ad system, meaning you're, you how many people are bidding on it drives up the price. Everyone starts advertising in the winter. So your ads mm. actually cost you a lot more money. So being more proactive, building long-term presence of your site. So you're actually dri- driving organic traffic, uh, pre-selling, you know, pre-selling for the winter. So you actually create discounts or you create incentives or you run ads with special promotions. People, again, painting is a want. It's not a need. So people oftentimes, if you're going to give them some incentive, are okay to wait 
you know, for their interior painting project until December. But getting planning, planning to planning ahead, it's also something the industry is not very good at. It's mm-hmm. something a lot of marketing agencies try to capitalize on. You know, they try to say, hey, we'll get you the leads r- right now. But ultimately, you should be working with a company that's going to grow you long term. So you're not in that position in the first place. That's right. Um, what do you also suggest to companies outside of maybe what you're doing for them on the ad side, the revising the website and all of those things, what else can a business do to continue to get work on their own? Uh, what, what would you say to that? That's an excellent question. So two things. One is you have assets that you're not utilizing, almost certainly. So those assets are your past customers. Those assets are your past leads. A lot of times those past leads didn't choose anyone. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe half did right? Maybe more than half did, but you have a lot of leads that have come into your ecosystem that you didn't close that depending on your sales system, maybe you, maybe try to close them for a day, maybe several weeks, whatever you have set up. And ultimately you weren't able to get in touch with them or you provided the estimate and they didn't move forward, whatever that is, they may not have completed that project. So what we do is we actually set up automation so that they're followed up with for a year, right? But you can also pick up the phone if you run Mm -hmm. into issues or you need business short term and call every single one of those past projects prospects. Say, hey, you know, you had had reached out to us five months ago about an interior painting project. I just want to make sure you got that handled. Do you you still need help with that? But you're, I guarantee you, you're the only company doing it. So even if they went through Angie or Thumbtack, you know, and five people were harassing them right then, nobody's harassing them five months. So if you reach out, you're you're differentiated past customers that were happy, reach out to them. Say, you know, hey, we're we're running a, create a referral program. Say, hey, we're creating a referral program. You know, I just want to make sure, are you still happy with your painting project that we perform? Is there anything that you need help with? Okay, it's still, everything's holding up. Everything's great. Okay, perfect. I want to let you know we're running this program right now. Uh, we, we actually pay $250 to anyone who refers us to a full interior exterior painting project. And then we give 10% off to the referee. So is, do you know anyone who might who might benefit from our services? You'll right. get projects that way. Get reviews. Get reviews. You should be getting a review at least one out of every three of your projects, you should be getting a five-star review. That's called monetizing them into the future because that's going to increase your presence. It's going to increase your conversion rate. It's going to increase uh, everything. That's Yeah, that's all huge. I'll tell you what, I, I think you know this, but we started calling past customers. So what I did was I put an ad on um, a Facebook, just actually it's not even an ad. I just posted in a, a community group and I said, hey, we're a small local business. We're looking for folks who have a background in cold calling. Are you interested? Um, and so got tons of responses, brought them in, did some interviews. I've got two ladies now who, and it's really not a cold call. It's really more of a warm call because the folks that they're calling at least know us in some capacity. So they're calling everybody who never accepted an estimate over the last several years. And then they're calling all of our past clients. And so far it's working out well. We're calling, we're texting. And once we kind of get through that, we'll figure out what our second level looks like. But it doesn't really cost that much, right? We're paying these folks hourly and then we are offering them a $5 bonus for every estimate they get scheduled. And we're testing it out and seeing how it works. But to your point, painting companies don't do that because sometimes I don't even think it's a, the thought occurs to do it, but we're giving it a shot and we're going to, you know, see what happens. So I'll keep, I'll keep you posted on that. I love it. And you could even do that for free. Mm -hmm. You know, and rather than paying for estimate, you pay for closed project. And of course, you pay more than five dollars. Yeah. Maybe you pay five percent, ten percent of the total revenue. They're probably going to make a lot more money, and yeah. th- and they'll you know likely bring a lot of projects. I want to say two other things too. When painting companies go out and you do a project, 
you should be canvassing that neighborhood. That should just happen. It should be part of your SOP. So you should be doing door hangers on 30 nearest houses. You should have a nice uh, yard sign in, in the yard. You should be parking a wrap van out front so people don't capitalize enough. If you can get uh, a project, an additional project in that neighborhood one out of three times, well, now you've just increased the value of your leads by 33%. Another right. thing that people struggle with is the sales process. So people focus so much on, on the lead flow. You know, hey, I need more leads. Hey, I need more leads. Well, if you can close those leads more consistently and you can deliver on value because you have a dialed in professional sales process, including automations, uh, including mm -hmm. stuff that we set up. So when you show up, you're already in a different league from your competitors, then every lead that you get is more valuable. And ultimately, you're going, you, you can actually build your business with the same number of leads just because mm -hmm. you refine your sales process. And with what you said about yeah. the cold calling and people not thinking that way, it's because painting company owners typically don't think like, like oftentimes, mm -hmm. honestly, they don't think like business owners and they almost never think like sales and marketing. And ultimately, the, the painting, in my opinion, is the widget. The painting is mm -hmm. the widget. You need to, it needs to be a good quality. It needs to hold up. You can't produce shoddy work. Um, but it doesn't need to be fine paints of Europe for most of the people listening. It, it needs to be solid and you need to be really good at the customer experience. And part of that is the sales and marketing. That's right, man. Um, I, I got, I'm going to ask you this question, not because it's necessarily what you do on a daily, but because you talk to business owners in this industry all the time, how would, how do you have any insight on how the logistics of the door hangers would work? So you're in an area, you go 30, you know, do 10, mm -hmm. 20 houses on this side of the street, 20 on this side. What are the logistics? Who does it? Is it the painters? Is it, uh, do I have to go put door hangers up? I mean, I will, I'll do whatever I need to, but tell me yeah, like, if you know how, how do people actually run that system? Usually you can take your most junior guy. So as you show up and you're actually unloading, you know, you're getting mm -hmm. the initial project set up. The most junior guy can just go do it. It's not going to take an excessive amount of time. I mean, an hour would probably be way more than it's actually going to take. Uh, you can you can have someone whose sole job is this, right? So you can hire someone for it and they can canvas. And at that point, you should probably canvas a lot more than 30. And you could canvas 50, 100. But you can essentially set them out to projects. And then after they do that, they roll to the next project and they do it. And that's what they spend their days doing, right? The, obviously, you would need a big enough company to have sure. enough projects to really make that make sense. But I would just start with the most junior painter that you have out there. Very good. Well, you're a wealth of knowledge. Um, what, since we touched on, your why and, and the importance of that. What, what is your why? why? Why are you doing this? And why are you now going to venture into another uh, business endeavor with your wife? Yeah, it's a great question. So my, my why is, is I like to grow, perform and help people, right? So I, I struggled in the beginning of my entrepreneurial journey. I thought because I knew uh, finance, because I had a pretty good grasp on operations from private equity, I thought, man, this will be, easy. you know, I'll go start a company, no problem. What I realized that I didn't know at all, and which is actually the most important thing to know as a, as a small business owner and entrepreneur, is sales and marketing. Because if you can't market yourself effectively, if you can't differentiate your company, if you can't close sales, then you are forever going to be in a rat race and you are going to be chasing razor thin margins and you're going to be struggling your entire career. So I became very good at marketing. I ended up enjoying it. Apparently, that's common for people with a finance background because the, the metrics-based system mm -hmm. of marketing and the ROI and all the numbers. I find it fascinating. I find psychology of it fascinating. So I personally dove into it. I was, I was contacted by tons of marketing companies, just like everyone here listening uh, gets contacted by. I ultimately decided to do it myself. It's not the right decision for everyone. It took me years to get good at it. Um, but ultimately I did. I was able to grow the business, exit the business, start uh, another business, and then now have grown that pretty substantially. Uh, and I want to help people. 
because otherwise you 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 don't know what you don't know, and people right. just they think they can't do better, right? They've been painting for ten years, they've been painting for twenty years, and and they just think that that well that the market's tapped out. You wouldn't believe how many people I talk with, and they're just like, well, I think I've, I've tapped out the market. Yeah, you haven't you haven't tapped like a half of a percent of the market that you should. <laughs> you know, so it's right. just it's mind blowing the glass ceilings that people put on themselves and their businesses and really their life. That's right. Wow. Uh, last but not least, how do you take care of yourself? What do you do for Brandon so that you can continue to show up every day for uh, people like me and and help us build our business? How do you take care of yourself? Man, that is so funny. So yeah, that, that was a point of contention between me and my wife for some time because I was working more than I probably should have been, mm-hmm. you know, full-time plus full-time kind of commitment. Uh, now we we, she helped me. So she helped kind of pull me back and say, Hey, you need some more balance. So we take Sundays together. Sunday's our family day. Uh, we go to church and, and go to brunch and do all that stuff as a family. Uh, Saturday, sometimes I'll work a half day. I try not to, so then we can do family trips on the weekend. Uh, and then I have set hours in the morning. So I go to CrossFit. Um, I take a couple hours for myself as the morning starts. One of the benefits of business ownership, I can start my day at, at 10, 1030 if I want. I don't have to start strictly at nine. Uh, and then in the evening, I take a couple hours with the family. We have a family dinner. I help kid to get the kids to bed. And then if I need to work later at night, then I will. Yeah. So it's being very intentional with your time. And um, sounds like even your CrossFit and things like that. I'm imagining that being like the first thing on your schedule. And then everything else gets built around that. Yep. Yeah. It's rather than setting work hours, which is, you know, the traditional way I set non-work hours. And then yeah. I work around that. Very good. Well, we have come to the end of this Women in Paint episode. Brandon, thank you for being with me. I didn't mention this to you because I didn't want to make you nervous, but you are the first guy that's been on the show so far. (laughs) (laughs) We got to get more fellas. Yeah, we got to get more fellas involved. Um, Well, Michael, I do want to say before we wrap it up. So my my wife will be attending the Women in Paint. Oh, so nice. I'm sure she'll see, she'll see you there in the uh, the event that the PCA is hosting early November in Nashville. Yep. So I you asked Nigel it. if I could come. He said no. I said excellent. So <laughs> she will be there. She will be there. Okay, awesome. I love it. And uh, for anybody listening, check out our Facebook page, Women in Paint. We can keep the momentum going there. And so until next time, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you, Michael. Painted podcasts are produced by the Painted Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org.